to the only one who is worthy, we lift our voices. No one else deserves that kind of attention, that kind of adoration and praise. I see as we turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7. I see stadiums filled to capacity for athletes, for music stars. The red carpet is rolled out for actors and actresses. We don't praise them. We praise Him. And it's a sad day when people are quicker to flock to a finite being singing a song than they are to the Word of God. Welcome to 2021. But here we find ourselves in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 7, and we're going to finalize this chapter. And I've said often, and I want to reiterate that many great truths of Scripture are often missed because of an emphasis on the wrong portion or the wrong, should we say, focus of Scripture. You know, when you read, for God so loved the world, the focus is not on the world. The focus is on God love. Oftentimes, we are so quick to insert our name that we miss the one who loves us. Such is the case with this portion of Scripture. Take a look with me if you would. We left off at verse 19 last week. So we'll read starting in verse number 20 to continue on. Inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were made many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. Can I say that one more time? For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Father, we enter these portions of Scripture that remind us just how lacking we are.
Father, I lack. And I am not enough for these, your people. I am not sufficient. I am not adequate. Oh, but you are. So, Father, I ask that you would fill me with your wisdom. That you would hide me behind your words. That I would not be heard, but that you would be seen high and lifted up. The Father, as we open up the bread of life, that we would be fed spiritually, Father, to the full. I pray, Lord, that you would move in mighty ways because, Father, we need you to move. Father, we need you to reach down into each and every one of our hearts. Wake us up to the reality of who you are. Father, if the church would only grasp who you are, we would stop hiding behind form, tradition, and preference. So, Father, we ask that you would meet with us this morning. Meet with us in a very real way so that when we walk from this place, our, our countenance would shine with the glory of God. For it's in your Son's name we pray. And for His glory. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I was coming through this passage of Scripture, several things came to mind, several directions that I could have gone. But one word really kind of jumped out to me. A word that I looked at over and over again, and I, I could not get away from it. And I don't know if, you're, if you've ever been in a position like that where you've been reading the Word of God and something just, just grabbed hold and just you could not let it go. It's a word that's found in verse number 25. Notice what it says there, Wherefore, He is able to save them to the uttermost. It's that word uttermost that really kind of played in my mind over and over again. It's, it was a word that uh, I, I just had to dig a little bit deeper into. I had to get a little bit better of an understanding of what was taking place there. And as a result of it, I really, the Lord really kind of directed my focus to the question that I'd like to begin everything with this morning. And I've had many people ask me time and time again through the years, how can you believe salvation is eternal? How can you believe that salvation is something that does not leave, that does not forsake? How can you believe something so audacious as that? How can you believe that a person can be saved and never be unsaved? How can you believe salvation to be eternal? I've even had people refer to the doctrine of eternal security as a damnable doctrine sending people to hell. Now, I want you to understand something before I go any further. I am not the type of individual who will quickly let someone know or tell someone that they're saved. I don't do that. I don't believe in doing that. 
If someone is questioning the validity of their salvation, I think that that is something that they need to wrestle with, uh, with the, the scriptures and with God himself. And I oftentimes point people, go read 1 John, read it for about a month straight at least, and then come back and talk to me about this very subject. How do I really know if I'm born again by the Spirit of God? I don't, I don't take someone back. Well, do you remember praying this prayer? Do you remember saying these words? Do you remember raising your hand? Do you remember? No, 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 no. I don't do that. The reason being is because I do believe in eternal salvation. I do believe the only type of salvation God offers, we looked at this earlier in the book of Hebrews, is an eternal salvation. Now, I believe that that's the only way God, uh, God brings salvation. But before I go down the topic of are you born, are you saved forever? Let's just talk about are you born again? Let's get that portion of it ironed out before we start wrestling with eternal security or not. Because I'm here to let you know if you're not born again, your salvation ain't lasting because it ain't begun. And so before we start down the wrong path, we need to get ourselves on correct footing. This is why a lot of times I, I think people maybe uh, blow the raspberry at me, so to speak, because I'm a little more hard-nosed. Because I, I don't believe someone can lose their salvation. I question if they ever had it. Now, with that being said, I do want to respond to the question of how can you believe in, that salvation is eternal. You see, God is sovereign, and I believe that there are a lot of different portions of the Bible that oftentimes get missed or get bypassed because of the distractions being used in analogies. And often improper doctrines are uh, are brought about as the result of, of, an, of an overemphasis of one portion or an illustration uh, over the remainder of the text as a whole. For example, the idea of God's sovereignty, there is no doubt to this. The Bible does declare that the Lord is sovereign. We do know this. We have no question on that. And so uh, there, there's also absolutely no question that salvation is by grace. This is for by grace are you saved through faith. Now listen, that's what we want to focus in on. It is not by faith are you saved, it's by grace are you saved. The, uh, the, the avenue of the grace is our faith. Now, there's no question that it is grace that saves, not what I do or what I am or how I act or how I dress or how I live or which one I read or any of that type of thing. Salvation is by grace and grace alone, apart from any work that you or I could ever do. And yet, the Bible also declares that there's a responsibility on behalf of man. If you were to go to John chapter number 12, we won't do that for sake of time, but you can go back there yourself. It, it, Jesus lets it be known that if you reject or if you believe, then there's a, an outcome to that. And so for me to say that God picks and chooses, I have pulled something out of context there. Man is called to follow Christ. And so we can go to the opposite side of things and say, well, that means 
that it is about what I do and uh, the works that I put in. And, and even James says that, uh, that Abraham was justified by his works. No, 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 my friend, we are taking things out of order. James lets us know that, that Abraham was justified in the sight of man by his works. And so in being called to follow God, man is called to do this, or let's say it this way, persevere uh, in order not to gain salvation, nor to keep salvation, but because of salvation. And so we want to be careful when we overemphasize a portion over everything else. And so this this is not a works-based salvation that that we teach here. We do not teach that you need to do something in order to be saved, nor do we teach that you need to do something in order to remain saved. Works-based salvation is anything that I base my uh, on my abilities rather uh, than salvation that is based solely on His ability. Anytime I start bringing my efforts, my abilities, my struggles, my strifes, anytime I bring those type of things into the equation, I have removed my focus off of the ability of Jesus to save, and I have placed the focus on my ability to perform. And so where we really kind of want to come down in uh, uh, an understanding here is exactly what it was that took place as far as Jesus being our high priest. This passage of Scripture over Hebrews 6, I I know many times people like to jump to Hebrews 6 because, you know, 4, 5, and 6, and and that's their go-to for um, uh, eternal security. Right here, the end of chapter 7, you're going to see something beautiful. You're going to see the truth of our priest. Look with me, if you would, verse 20 and 21. Inasmuch as not uh, without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, for this uh, with an oath by him uh, that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you want to do this, you can go back into Psalm chapter 110 and read the first portion of Psalm chapter 110 to get the context of what's being said. The writer of Hebrews, time and time again so far, has referred to Psalm chapter 110. He's taken us back there over and over again to help draw the picture. But I want you to notice just how inadequate man is in making atonement. Now, we looked at the difference in Jesus' priesthood to that of the Levitical priesthood last week. Uh, Levi's tribe was set aside, but there was never an oath made with Levi's tribe. It was only a setting aside that the Aaronic order of the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, would come. But there was never an oath that was made there. But God's word, uh, uh, God's word also, an oath made by him, emphasizes the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. Now, I want you to look with me, if you would, over here at verse number 21. Those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath. Now, drop down where it says, the Lord swear and will not repent. 
You see, the old covenant was not meant to fix. It was not meant to be the solution. If you were to look at this, God, God it says right there, plain, and, and, and plain as day, that the Lord swears and he will not change his mind. That's what that word means. The Lord swear and will not repent. What is repentance? Repentance is literally a changing of the mind. I'm going that direction. I change my mind and go the exact opposite. And the Bible lets us know that God will not change his mind on this subject, that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, like Melchizedek. Now, we place a lot, again, a lot of emphasis there. So, well, okay, there's a specific order. There's a specific sect. No, 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 stop. He's saying just like Melchizedek didn't have a beginning or an end, scripturally speaking, his priesthood will not have an end. He will be a priest forever. In looking at this, Jesus is now and will forever be our high priest. For God to reverse this or to make any edit to it whatsoever would make him a liar. And we looked a couple weeks ago, he doesn't lie. He hates, he abhors lying. For him to lie means he would have to hate himself. But I want us to understand this old covenant in light of the new covenant. Because this new covenant being far better. Notice what it says in verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. That word testament literally means covenant. The new covenant, the Bible says, is better. Now, we want to be careful with this. This does not mean that God changed. A lot of times you're going to hear people say, well, the God of the Old Testament was this way, this way, this way, and the God of the New Testament is a different way, as if to say that there are two different gods. And a lot of people will say, well, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Can I let you know that the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament? If you don't like the God of the Old Testament, you can't like the God of the New Testament because they're one and the same. And so when we see the idea of the law, we can't look at it as, in, as if to say, well, the law was there and it didn't work, so God had to bring about a new, a better covenant. That's not what's being said. The Old Testament law did exactly what the Old Testament law was meant to do. Point to the one who was coming. That's what the Old Testament law was. The old, look, for us to say that the Old Testament law was supposed to fulfill all the righteous, uh, righteous uh, uh, requirements, and, and, and people should have just followed the Old Testament law, but they couldn't. They failed at it. So I guess God's idea didn't work the first way through. No. God succeeded in doing exactly what he wanted to do with the law. The law was meant to show to us our inadequacies. And even when you look at the priesthood, you now are, are given uh, uh, bright, shining examples that even they weren't perfect. The old covenant never meant to fix 
But the law was given to pave the way for Christ. Now, we're not saying that the Old Testament or the, the Old Covenant was unnecessary. I'm not a big fan of these modern preachers who say we don't preach the Old Testament here. You can't understand the New Testament if you ignore the Old. You've got to be able to dig back into the Old to understand how, how do we know that Jesus is the fulfillment? We go back to the Old Testament. These modern preachers who are trying to say that uh, there's no reason to preach the Old Testament, just stick with the New Testament and focus on the New Testament. They're full of malarkey. They may have gotten their preaching certificate at Kmart, and my friend, it was a blue light special. This is not to say that the old is unnecessary, but it is saying it wasn't sufficient because the better had not yet come. We do not quit striving to do right under the new covenant. My friend, if we do away with the old because the new has come, and it has no longer, it has no merit, it has no benefit for me, oh, my friend, you have completely misunderstood the new. Christ's death did not come to do away with, but to fulfill. He did not come to put it out of sight, but to let us see that he was able to fulfill it, and he was able to perform it, he was able to do it. The old is still valuable. Without the old, I would not know the new. Without the old, I would not understand what Jesus did for me. Without the old, this is what we do. We go back to it time and time again. People say, well, you know, it's New Testament. I'm allowed to do whatever I want to do now. Wrong. When we accept Christ's payment, we are actually putting a stamp of approval on the old. We are saying, you know what? When it says thou shalt not, that's validated. When it says thou shalt, chunk, validated. You kind of get the picture of the uh, librarian in the library, thunk, 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 you know, just stamping books away. Correct, correct. So why in the world would I say, well, yes, it's right, but I don't have to. For your salvation? No, you don't have to. He did. But that doesn't excuse us from still living a life that is glorifying, pleasing, and honoring to the Creator. If I put away the old, how can I truly say I have embraced the new? We do not quit these things. Instead, We are empowered now more than ever because of the Holy Spirit of God living within us, residing in us, empowering us now to do what we couldn't do before. Remember what Paul said, I know in me that is the flesh dwelleth no good thing. Right? But the Holy Spirit of God, He makes us able. People say, oh, pastor, so you're telling me I I should be perfect from now on. No, 
not saying be perfect from now on. Let me, let me qualify that statement. You're worried about five years from now if you're thinking about being perfect from now on. Or you're thinking about tomorrow being Monday. Oh, you don't know who I have to deal with at the workplace. You have no idea who sits in the cubicle next to me. There's no way. Don't worry about tomorrow. C.S. Lewis refers to eternity as now. It will always be now. That's why God is the great I am. He basically says, I exist. I am. Right now. Present tense. Can you be perfect for the next two seconds? And then after those two seconds have passed, try it again. And after those two seconds have passed, try it again. Learn to live in the now. And right now, I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do now. The decision that I have before me now, I'm going to examine in light of Scripture now, and I'm going to do it God's way now. When God says now that I need to forgive someone, then guess what I'm going to do now? I'm not worried about tomorrow when I see them. I'm going to do it right now. When I'm reading the Bible that it says thou shalt not, guess what? Right now I'm faced with an opportunity where I can, but the Bible says thou shalt not, so I'm not going to do it. When the Bible says thou shalt... Faced with an opportunity of not doing it, guess what I'm going to do? Right now. You see, you and I, as far as our abilities, very inadequate. But I want you to see the sufficiency of Christ. Look at verse 23 with me, if you would. And they, talking about the other priests, were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Hey, they died. Pretty simple. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Way, ooh, how you like that? Have you ever had that, uh, look... I've had my pastors, and I know there's some of you that probably wish I'd never shown up and Pastor McCracken was still up here because I like pastor too. And some of y'all just like, why that guy? Why couldn't pastor just have kept pastoring until he was at least 134? Right? Some of, some of y'all wish you had the old pastor. I understand that. I have my pastor, and I, there's pastors that I wish I, oh, man, I wish so-and-so was still my pastor. I love pastor. I, I, I love them. They were the same way with their priests. And there were good priests, and there were not so good priests. This one they had, oh, they loved this priest, and he died. Then they had this priest, who they tolerated, and thank God he died, right? (laughs) Some of you all like, yep, that's exact, not just... But this man, this priest, who was able to do it right, do it well, do it perfectly, do it completely, he never dies. He's always living because he was raised again. 
Notice verse 25. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. You see, I want us to realize how big of a deal our sin is. And the law revealed this very thing to us. The law was all geared around the sacrificial system. You sinned, something needed to pay the penalty. You sin, blood needed to be shed. You sinned, an atonement had to be made. That was the thing with the, with the sacrificial system that was to, to point us to just how horrible. And it wasn't supposed to be something that was easy. Think back to Cain and Abel. When Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices, here comes Cain with his fruit. Yeah, look at the size of the tomato. Dale, you should see the zucchinis in my garden. And he's walking down with his bushel of everything that he had done and he had put out by the sweat of his brow, the, the toil of his hands. Look what I have accomplished and I'm bringing it to him, setting it down. Aren't you proud and satisfied with my work? What did Abel bring? As he's bringing that little lamb. I can imagine Abel. He was a tender. He was a caregiver. He was a shepherd. And he cared for, he cared for that little lamb. And he's bringing that little precious baby lamb. I love this little guy. I didn't do anything. I didn't give it life. I did nothing. And he's so sweet. He's so precious. So innocent. But I've done wrong. And something needs to pay for it. Thank you for your work. There's nothing I can do. And as the hand was on the sheep, the little lamb, signifying it's because of me. It's my fault you're dying. It's my fault your blood is going to be spilled. It's my You see the difference? We wonder, <laughs> why didn't God accept? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. I want you to notice a few things here about Him. 
observe the preacher's description now of Jesus, our high priest. Number one, he is holy. See it there in verse number 26. For such a high priest became us who is holy. This word for holy is, you have several different words in Scripture. You have hagios, and this means holy as in like set apart. But then there's another word in the Greek language, hasios, which is pointing directly to divinity. People say that the Scripture doesn't say he was God. This word that is used here for holy is used in reference to divine qualities. He was divine. This is relating to his godness. He was harmless. This could be said as innocent. In other words, he is not like a crafty lawyer looking for loopholes uh, in, in the system, but because all the requirements have been met, he is able to stand undefiled. Notice that word? Literally means completely free from impurities. Completely free from impurities. Unlike the old priest, you see there in verse 27, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins. This one didn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sins before he could offer them for you. Undefiled. Separate from sinners. In other words, distinct from. He was made like man, but not the same as. This is what is meant when we see the very first part of verse 26. For such an high priest became us. That word became means perfectly fitting. Exactly what we needed. Exactly with nothing lacking to fit our needs. Signifying that he fit it perfectly. We do not need another man like the sinful priests of old. And as good as many may be, they are still in the flesh. So often I find people who are following an individual or following another preacher or following a group or following someone's teaching, and they they get so enamored with that person, that individual. Please, my friend, you need no one else but Jesus Christ. Follow Him. Any preacher that draws the spotlight to himself as opposed to pushing it to Christ is not worth the P in preacher. It's not my role in life. It's not my job to try to get you to like me. I've had people tell me before, you know, if you didn't get so dogmatic when you preach, maybe more people would like you. I ain't here to win friends and influence people. I'm here to proclaim Christ. Don't look to me. Don't look to any preacher that tries to get you to see them. (laughs) They're pulling you the wrong direction. Let me guide you for a minute. Away from me to him. This is what Paul meant when he said, 
be followers of me as I am of Christ. He says, I'm going this way. I'm following Christ. Come on. Come on. He's not saying just follow me. He's saying follow me to Christ. Let me lead you this direction. Note too the sufficient sacrifice of this priesthood. <laughs> I want you to catch this. Do not miss it. Verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins uh, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up what? Oh, let's do that one more time. When he offered up. To say that Jesus' work is not sufficient to save me because I have to do this, this, and this in addition to believing or to keep me is a spit in the face of Christ. It is to say that his sacrifice was not enough, which is to say that he is not enough. Well, he's a good priest, but wait a minute. Let's get that butt out of here. He is sufficient. All sufficient. Notice that he doesn't just make the offering, but is the offering. Man, as a sinless priest, he can offer a lasting mediatorial relationship. But even beyond that, as the sinless lamb, not only is he perfect in office, but he is complete in payment. This is why he, is, he was on the cross. One of the last things that he ever uttered was to paid in full. He didn't pay most of it and leave you to take care of the rest. He didn't get it started so that you could come along and finish it. He paid it all. If the sacrifice is perfect, one is enough. Kind of like the everlasting gobstopper. You only need one. Now, now we have an idea of the necessity of a better high priest and recognizing Jesus as the superior high priest. Then coupling with it, Christ himself being the perfect and complete sacrifice. Observe now the result. Look with me now at verse 25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. Let that sink in for just a second. So often, we think we know what something means and we're just slightly off the mark. For 42 years almost, I thought I knew what that verse was saying. And how many times have we heard statements like, Jesus is able to save from the uttermost to the guttermost, right? From is not in there. It does not say he is able to save them from the uttermost. It says he is able to save to the uttermost. I want you to catch this. 
because the statement is true, Jesus does not offer a salvation that is in need of finalization. Rather, he is able to save to the uttermost. This is what's being taught. Let me explain what I mean. From the uttermost places emphasis on those that he can save. Now, while there is truth that Jesus can save, no matter how good a person or how bad a person you are, he can save you. I mean, Paul said it this way, he's the chief of sinners, and if God can save me, now this is the Hillbilly Andy Lake paraphrased edition, if he can save a fool like me, I know he can save you too. I understand what Paul was saying there. But the writer of Hebrews right here, understand what he is saying from the uttermost places the emphasis on those that he can save, as if to say, well, you have good people, then you have okay people, you have eh people, and then you have the not-so-good people, and then you have the uh-uh, guard your kids people. And God is able to not just save these, but he's able to save these too. That's an okay application, but that's not what this text is saying. You ready for it? Man, buckle up. Put your seat backs in the upright and locked position. It's going to be awesome. Two is what is being used here. To the uttermost. The Greek word is pantales. It's from the root word pas, meaning the whole. Every part of. Completely. Nothing lacking. And so what the Bible is teaching here is that the salvation that our high priest offers is complete, nothing lacking, whole, not just part of, but every part of. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, you need to go home, get back on the other side of the bed, wake up and come on back. Jesus does not offer any partiality to it. Rather, he is able to grant salvation that covers all of the sins of my past, all of the sins of my present, (laughs) and every one to come. That's the God I serve. That's the Jesus that I worship. You see, God the Son saves us completely and perfectly. This is why he's able to say, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We're held in his. Never to be lost. Never to be done away with. He doesn't cast us away He holds us in the palm of His hand. Beloved, can I just encourage you with as much love as I can muster to say that Jesus' salvation is not enough is to degrade Him as priest, to degrade him as sacrifice, and to insult the one who died and rose again. Well, it's enough to save me, but... 
if his sacrifice is enough to save, it's enough to keep. If it's not enough to keep, it's not enough to save. So it's either a perfect sacrifice or it's not. You can't have it both ways. So, what's your view as far as salvation is concerned? Let's make it personal for just a minute, okay? What are you trusting in? How much of your being saved, I know there's a misspelling there, just ignore it for a minute, please. How much of your being saved is due to your contribution? Let's get honest for a minute. Some may say, well, I'm not, I, I don't believe it's my contribution that saves me, but I've got to do certain things in order to keep saved. Then you're contributing to your salvation. Well, well no, uh, Jesus started it. I've just, uh, you can't. And it's time to be honest. How much are you trusting in you? That's what that is. For me to trust in my ability to maintain salvation, I'm putting my trust in my ability. My friend, we can contribute nothing. He paid it all. And in faith, we receive and follow him. That's it. Second, are you trusting his finished work? Are you trusting that? Or are you trusting in something else? Maybe how many rules you follow. Maybe in your attire. What you have on TV. What you listen to in the car. Are you trusting in something that is not the shed blood of Jesus Christ for salvation? Are you trusting in something someone said once upon a time? Trust Him. And last, are you actively following Him? Maybe I could say it this way. Have you abandoned your efforts and followed only Him? If you're still basing your salvation on you, what you do, you have not abandoned self to follow Him. A conversation with someone not too long ago. And I said, let me just guess. You went from making Jesus part of your life. I think that's what we do. You know, we try to lock arms with Jesus and make Him part of our life. And I like going, I, I hate shopping, but I like going out with my wife. And we went out, And I like to put my arm out and hold on to her, you know. And we're making our way through the store, and she wants to go look that way, and I don't. 
And so what do we do? You can go look at the girly things. I'm going to go back to the gun counter. Right? We're happy oftentimes to make Jesus part of our life. I take him with me when he's wanting to do what I want to do. You know, like Sunday morning, I want to go to church. But Monday, I don't want to be in the Bible. I was in it all day yesterday. Tuesday, I don't want to be in the Bible. I was in it all day two days ago. Wednesday, if I feel like it, I'll show up for Bible study. Thursday, I don't want to be in the Bible again because, I mean, for crying out loud, too much of a good thing, right, preacher? There's a difference between making him part of your life and making him your life. Are you actively following him? Instead of, instead of trying to fit him in somewhere, Maybe we just simply need to make our life fit him as opposed to him fit into our life. That's how I can believe in the salvation that is eternal. Not because of anything I'm able to do. Because if it was based on me, it would be fleeting at best. But since it's based on him, perfect, lacking nothing. And he didn't just save me to this point. He didn't save me to this point. He saved me as far as the east is from the west. No limit. That's my God. Is he yours? Father, We come before you now humbled that you would love us, that you would care for us, that you would offer to us a relationship with you. So, Father, we need to take seriously our responsibility in responding. God in heaven, we present ourselves for inspection. Right now, each and every one of us, as we are here at this very moment, present ourselves to you. Find anything in us that might be hindering our walk. Lord, if there's anything about us that is not fully trusting in you, if we're putting our trust and our hope in anything that's not you, please expose that to us. Those of us who have, who have decided that we're going to follow you, but perhaps we haven't, been, we haven't been making you our life. We've just been putting you as part of our life. God, I just pray that you would expose that as well. But Lord, we would not be guilty of neglecting the salvation that is in us. Father, we pray that you would use this time of invitation. And Father, as we come to a close that we would not be eager to move on to the next part of our day. But we would be eager to obey You, to put action to what we have heard. For it's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.